Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast. Tonight, we have the maple syrup on your pancakes, Christopher Polson. Hey, bud, if I'm the maple syrup on the pancakes, when you're skating down the canal and you have a hankering for a beaver tail, well, guess what? That's you, bud. And we're talking all the fixins. Wow. Wow. That is a completely Ottawa and Canadian thing right there, Chris. Wow. It's perfect. Perfect for today. I am neither of those. (laughs) 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 No, I will take it. Thank you, good sir. Vito McKenzie on this. And Chris, how are we doing this week? Hey, doing good. Feeling good. Uh, You know, I'm every every single day stronger, feeling great. Uh, My family's doing good. Um, School's going really good. You know, we are online right now uh but it is nice to be able to um now that my isolation from covid is over i am actually able to go into the building and teach my classes from my office which is kind of nice because it's not that i mean it's not that it wasn't enjoyable being at home all the time but it wasn't enjoyable being at home all the time (laughs) with a one-year-old and a five-year-old um that is that is the caveat to that Um, But no, classes are going good, still making really good connections, really proud of my students. Um, This is that last push, you know, we're kind of, well, what what did you say? You posted it on your social media the other day, my friend, the June is on the milk. That's right. June's on the milk. milk. And so really at June, we're almost there. Yeah. For those graduate students, this is a big push. So we're really supporting them and really proud of them and the work they're doing, especially you know, with all the, the trouble that's going on this year and all the difficulty and the stress. But hey, how are you doing, Vito? How are how are those Octomesters treating you? Uh, uh, you know, as Octomesters would, we're wrapping up one, getting ready for my final one, Adventures in World History. Ooh, and Adventures I, I, in World History. None of that stuff's happening now, so it's going to be boring, right? <laughs> well, it, it it's a fascinating course because it's so rarely taught in our board that they can never get enough numbers to run it. And the last teacher to taught it was like eight years ago live. And so I got to actually have be the first teacher to teach it live in the many years. And I got to do it twice this year. So it's, it's a fun course. Students love it. It's grade twelves. They eat it up. It's you're looking at pirates and uh, torture and execution, torture and execution monuments, the road to civilization. Um, uh, early religions, like all that fun stuff, passion, that things that students love. And then, you know, we, we have like wreck it Wednesdays. What's the most destructive weapon. So it's, it's, <laughs> we just have fun with it. It's a course you can just have fun with. And, you know, I, I'm pumped to, to be able to finish my year with that course. And on that note, you deserve then, it, my friend. I, and I know we're talking next year, what's going to happen, but Everything changes by the week, so I'm just looking forward to next week and finishing up this course and starting that. And on that note, hey, on that, on that note, note, on that nope. note, like, like I, I, I purposely led us. that in because I need to stop talking. You need we to, need stop, to talking. stop talking. We need to stop. No one wants we to got, hear from us. Nobody, <laughs> because we got somebody here that we want to hear from, and that everyone oh, tell us about her. Tell us about. Oh, her. Chris, Chris, we have somebody right here coming to us from Washington. Uh, holds a. A Bachelor of Arts in Education, a double major, elementary and secondary social studies education, specialist in social studies. So you know it's going to be important for us right now. Uh, she was a first grade teacher, taught fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, middle school, and then um, uh, focused her attention uh, to focus uh, to design social studies resources from kindergarten to grade eight. She was featured in Practical Homeschooling magazine. 
a featured presenter for uh, teacher professional development courses and conferences, including the Digital Summer Summit, Excel Education Resources. Uh, during the summer, she has served as a teacher leader for the Ambassador Leadership Summit at both Tulane University and Harvard University. What? And currently, currently, she is a board member for the Washington State Council for Social Studies. I am so pumped to bring her on tonight. Everyone, let's give us a warm welcome. Michelle McDonald on the show tonight. Michelle, welcome, welcome to, the show. to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am really just pleased to be here. Well, we're pleased to have you. Oh, with a bio like that, holy cow, we, we already got taken to school. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I actually have a pillow here because I need a nap after hearing all that, but I'm tired. Oh, that goodness. is. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for being on, uh, Michelle. And with all that being said about you, I mean, there's got to be some great story behind this or even just your story. We always like to ask our guests, you know, just t tell us what got you into teaching and the path you took to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I come from a family of teachers. So my mom was an educator my grandmother was an educator, and then I married into a family of, of teachers. <laughs> and so my husband taught for a number of years, and my father-in-law was an administrator. Mother-in-law was a school counselor. So I've been around education like my whole life and continue to be. So um, I actually didn't want to be a teacher um, as a kid. I would play school all the time. My mom would give my sister and I a bunch of extra you know, leftover resources from her classroom. And I loved to play school, but that wasn't really what I wanted to pursue. Um, it wasn't until I was in high school that I had an opportunity to do some service learning. And I was working with a group of, of kids that needed a little extra support. And um, it just really resonated with me because I had been a student that was really challenged in school. It, school didn't come easily for me. I had to work really hard um, and I needed a lot of support. And there were a lot of teachers that had come alongside and had been really patient and caring. And in working with um, a number of students, I realized that I wanted to be that teacher for someone else. And so that's really how um, things turned for me to where I decided that I wanted to pursue a, a career in education. And so um, from there, I uh, went to the university and I knew I wanted to focus on elementary ed to work with young kids, but I um, also knew that social studies was something that very much interested me. I had some great history teachers in high school that really just sparked a, a love of history. And so that was what I wanted to focus on. Um, but when I was in college, my guidance counselor had said, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's really the best route. Um, in Washington State, social studies in elementary wasn't an endorsed subject. And so there was this pushback of, are you going to find a job as an elementary teacher? Maybe focusing on math or reading would be better. And those are great subjects. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But I decided that if I was going to be paying for my college education, I may as well focus on something that I'm interested in. And so that was how I decided to continue my focus on in social studies. And since I love that. Yeah. I, I just love that, that you're like, Hey, you'll get a job if you do these. You're like, yeah, but that's not my passion. Love exactly. It. Yeah. And 
Um, and so there wasn't really an elementary ed um, focus since it wasn't endorsed. So I ended up having to do both elementary ed and then secondary social studies education. And uh, I'm glad I did. I, I'm really glad I did. And um, I, I run um, or host a, a first year teacher Facebook group. And I see teachers on there often that say, I don't know if I should pursue this or that. And I'm always just come back to, you know, pursue your dreams of what you want to do. Your path doesn't have to look the same as everybody else. Keep going. Keep going. Like, I, I love, I love that what you're saying there. What I'm also impressed by is you said you come from a family full of teachers married into them and you didn't really want to be there, but, and you saw all the prep work that goes into being a teacher and yet you still pursued that. That's uh, with, with that service uh, learning that you did which I think that that's huge. That's huge. Um, keep going, please. Sorry. Oh, sure. Um, so I really didn't have any trouble landing a teaching job. Um, and, and I know that looks different because of course there's different areas where we may have teacher shortages or whatnot. But um, at, at the time I was able to work in a first grade classroom and I, I loved it. I, did find though that um, I I really wanted to bring social studies to the forefront in my classroom, and a lot of the colleagues around me in the elementary grades had said, "Well, first graders really need to learn to read and write and do math, and social studies isn't that important." And that just didn't sit well with me, nope. um, especially having just gotten out of college and having focused on social studies, and so. Um, <laughs> I decided that, no, I'm going to do my own thing. And my first year of teaching, I didn't have any social studies resources. And I went to several other schools and there really weren't very many resources. And so I essentially just went through our state standards with each state has their own set um, of framework and decided that I would just create for myself a scope and sequence. And I just took our school calendar and figured out, well, I have X number of days to actually teach by the time you take out conferences and all the other things. And it really wasn't very many days. And then I just started to kind of piece together a curriculum for myself that I used um, and, and went from there. And I I, uh, in 2012, I had decided to share some of the resources that I had created on Teachers Pay Teachers because I didn't see a lot of social studies resources at the time. And I thought, well, maybe there are other teachers like me that don't have a lot of resources but could benefit from that. And sure enough, there was an interest. And so then that just kind of took off. I continued just to share what I was making in my classroom and now I realize that as much as I love being in the classroom, there came a point where I knew that I could help teachers and impact classrooms in a different way. And, um, and so that's how I decided in 2019 to step out of the classroom and just focus on resources. Now, there's something that we like, I I'm surprised Vito or I didn't jump on I saw you, you glowing took about it too. your state standards. So in Canada, it's very different because we have scopes and sequence. We have uh, curricular outcomes and, and that's, we, we have those. You didn't 
you had state standards and developed a curriculum for something that didn't exist yet. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> wow. Like, yeah. wow. In, talk, um, talk about, talk about uh, self-starting. Talk about passions based. You know, what have we talked about? Letting the passion be the spoon that stirs the drink. I love it. Yeah. In, in the United States, each state has their own set of standards, but there's a lot of overlap. And so um, oftentimes the, the standards in Washington will also overlap with other states too. And so as much as what I typically put together are really focused on Washington, it can be used with lots of different classrooms. That's so cool. That is. Now, you said, of course, there's a focus on reading and math and, and you know, regardless of where you are in the world, I think that's always the case. How did your numeracy students respond? Literacy. Yeah, numeracy literacy. But you can definitely develop those skills within a social studies class. How did your students respond when you kind of went that route? As far as uh, creating a, a emphasis in social studies? Yeah. Oh, my students loved it. They looked forward to social studies. And I think part of that is, as a teacher, how enthusiastic we are, too, because kids can read body language. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and that just made me more excited when kids are excited about learning. And young kids, I mean, they're not too young to begin to grasp the world and different perspectives. I First grade's not too young. <laughs> not, not, not at all. Not at all. And, and did the community get behind you after they saw what you were doing? They're like, oh, wow. Okay. I guess this is working. Uh, did you have to, was there a lot of resistance to what you were doing or were you able to kind of blaze the way? I found that a lot of parents would come to me and say, hey, my kid came home and shared all of these really neat things and want to uh, continue to do more research and learn more. And so then I ended up having parents that were sitting alongside their child on the Internet or checking out books from the library on whatever topic we were discussing. I think that is just really great to have kids take that initiative and want to lead their own learning. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't think any parent's going to be like, no, stop reading. Don't look into that. You know, that that's, uh, that's My amazing. My kid is interested in what's happening at school. You need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you are a social studies specialist then. And, you know, tell us what, what, what a good social studies class looks like. What, what makes a great social studies class? Cause I know for many teachers, especially new teachers uh, here in uh, Ontario, anyway, they often get thrown a social studies class to fill out a schedule and they don't know what to do with it. So what, like what, what, what makes a what, in your opinion, what makes a great social studies class? Yeah. Well, I think the first piece of what makes up a good social studies class would be not only what it looks like, but also what does it sound like? What does it feel like? And so setting some classroom norms at the beginning to have really a collaborative and safe space for students is really critical at the beginning of the year. Um, and then I would say just uh um, really just focusing on realizing that our, our students come from all different backgrounds and experiences, and we may have a classroom that is highly diverse, um, but we may also 
not have a very highly diverse classroom. So we want to make sure that all of our students feel equally heard and that the you know few students don't feel as though they must speak on behalf of an entire group of people. So we really want to be mindful of that as we create really a safe place for our students. And I think part of that is um, going over some just communication skills and good listening, um, tolerant um, attitude and being willing to uh, hear from others. I, I think those can be really beneficial in setting up a classroom that is collaborative. And I think that's, that is really important. And then from the teacher side, you know, there are times when students may say something that is problematic and it's really our job to just interrupt some of those problematic statements that may happen. Um, so give, give, we, so give, give me an example of what, how you would interrupt that. So a student says yeah. something, how, how do you jump in there? Yeah. So you might see something like, Hmm, you know, that's interesting. How did you come to that conclusion or what evidence do you have to um, back that claim? Or um, when did you start thinking that way? Um, there's a really great resource from the Oregon Center for Educational Equity. And it's just a, a set of one-liners. There are questions that you can use in the classroom if a student says something that is problematic. And that can be really helpful because I think all teachers encounter situations where it catches us off guard and we don't know what to say. And so having that in your back pocket can be really helpful or maybe one or two that just sound natural can be helpful. Um, because if we don't say something, that does speak volumes too for our students. Um, so I, the, that's some of the things I would say would be just creating that safe and um, shared safe and collaborative space at the beginning of the year. Um, and then as far as what it would look like from the aspect of the type of learning, I think it's important that students have an opportunity to really find value in what they're learning. Um, and so if they can make connections to their to whatever you're you're discussing, that can make a really big difference because I know um, Zaretta Hammond, she's the author of um, Culturally Responsive Teaching. She talks about how only the learner learns. And so really we have to create a space where students find value in, in what they're learning. Um, and then that can make a big difference because that will spark curiosity. I know sometimes kids will say, oh, social studies is so boring, but maybe they just haven't experienced social studies in a way that is um, more inquiry-based learning where they're not just regurgitating information, but have an opportunity to really um, dive deep into those questions that can't just simply be answered with a yes or no, but involve a lot of um you know, deeper thinking. So I think that that can be uh, just really helpful as well. I really, really, really like that you start with safe space, how that's the starting point before the, before the, even the learning of curricular content comes in, because I think social studies is a, is a, is a, is a forum where we see a lot of opinions that are really 
parents' opinions and grandparents' opinions and opinions from the media and social media. And so when I see that you're building these safe spaces first and you're aware, you know, even you said you got to have a couple of these one-liners. By the way, Vito, market, have a couple one-liners. That's a big vibe. Big vibe of the night um, right there. But I, I really like that that's the starting point because to me what that is, is, is is and I say it like the dumb guy that I am. You said it really smart. I say it like what's best for kids and, and, and what's best for kids is safe and collaborative learning spaces where the teacher's ready to encounter what they might encounter and really ready to go there with it in a safe way. So I really, I really like that you started with building a safe and collaborative space. Um, and then, and then it flows out of there, doesn't it? Because then you can introduce everything and no one's afraid. Exactly. I love it. Love it. Big vibes, Vito. Big vibes. <laughs> oh, well, it's it's true. I had a situation at the beginning of this year, my first Octomester religion class, where you know you start by creating that environment. The students were very chatty with each other, and one student says, "Oh, no, systemic racism doesn't exist in Canada." <laughs> oh, let me tell you, that sparked an interesting debate. And uh, what was neat is that the students jumped in. And they did it in a very like nice way to talk the student down. And he actually ended up coming around. I was like, wow, that was really neat. So I, I love the fact that you start like that. I, I'm with Chris on this. Um, so thank you. That, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I every, think that every, speaks, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I just think that speaks volumes to the fact that your classroom is a safe space where students feel that they can openly share their perspective that obviously is different than the one student that said something problematic and that that was a, a, a space where they can communicate. It was great. And even, even beyond that, like it doesn't even necessarily need to be problematic stuff, right? Just stuff right. another person might disagree with. Exactly. You know, it's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but there is something wrong with if you disagree, that person is automatically the enemy. Right. And I always say too, you know, that students are responsible for backing up their stance. That's their responsibility. So we can't just spout out things without having evidence. Listeners, no. you heard it right here. Grade one, two, three, four, five, middle school. They still have to back it up with the research. I love it. Now, in, in uh, you also mentioned culturally responsive learning as well. So in your social studies class, uh, how, how do you navigate the actual waters of the content that will play to that as well? Because I know a lot of times our history books are, are, are told from a very particular perspective and may not tell the whole story. It may just be a very opinionated story. Um, how, how do you navigate those waters? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I usually, when I'm putting together a, a lesson, I usually ask myself, you know, whose voice is being centered and then whose voice is missing. And that can be really helpful. Um, I know a lot of um, textbooks can be outdated. I didn't really have any textbooks to even work with, but if you do have an out 
dated textbook, one thing that you could do is actually have your students vet the textbook and determine, like take a chapter, and this could be a great opportunity for students to have an aspect of choice where maybe they get to choose a chapter or a section, and then they go through and can say, you know, again, like whose voice is being centered, who's missing, is there a sidebar here? And why is this in the sidebar? What biases do you see or whatnot? And that might be um, a way to then take that resource that you do have and expand on it and to bring in those multiple perspectives. Awesome. And, and uh, so on the note of resources then, like this is this is where like you, you really have brought so much, so much, so much to, to teachers, I guess, around the world at this point. And you you create amazing resources. Yeah, you have so, to check these resources out. Like, like they're amazing. So can you tell us what you believe makes a great resources and how they can be used to support learning? Yeah. Well, first of all, I know that teachers juggle a lot of hats. And so, you know, teaching is just part of who we are. It's, it's not all of us. And so, um, for me, I don't want to spend all of my time prepping and cutting and laminating and doing all the things. And so I try to create resources that I know I could put together and in a short amount of time, and then implement that in my classroom. And so I focus on resources that are low prep, but that doesn't necessarily mean low quality. It's just that teachers are busy. We just, we don't want to be cutting, folding, and laminating and all the things. Um, and so that to me is, is important. And also um, having a resource where students can get started very quickly if it's tech involved. I know that even though students may be very tech savvy on TikTok and social media, it doesn't necessarily mean that you Google Classroom or a learning management system is easy to navigate. And so I try to make things pretty streamlined and easy for not only the teacher, but um, for students as well. And, um, and I do think as far as like a great social studies resource, I think it is important to to really present history from different perspectives. Um, and like we talked about not having things through one lens. And so I, I try to vet my own resources and say, who is being centered? What's the emphasis? Um, could I do a better job of really bringing in different um, perspectives and knowing that there are different learning needs as well. So maybe a student would benefit from having like sentence stems or um, having just different types of learning from video to, you know, reading to um, critical thinking. So I try to bring in lots of different learning um, aspects too. Um, so here's, here's my question jumping in with that. I've seen a lot of your resources in researching for this, this, this show and they're fantastic resources, fantastic. But, uh, you know, a resource, if I go into my class and I just say, hi, kids, here's what you're doing today. You know, it's not going to work. Uh, of insight on like how resources can support teaching and learning. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that um, I know a lot of teachers have shared with me that, 
um, like a virtual field trip, which is like a, a virtual tour, can be a great anticipatory set. It can get students engaged with the content or the or the topic. It doesn't necessarily mean that that is the end all, and you know you're just doing that. But it can be used as like. A, an intro lesson or maybe a wrap up. It can enhance a lesson by allowing students to experience, like if it's a tech-based lesson where it's um, like a virtual field trip where students can use Google Earth to experience um, like the geography of, of, of a location. And so sometimes just having that different um, activity to spark curiosity and interest can, can can enhance a, a lesson. Well, I think that just hits the nail on the head. The resource is the enhancement. It's not it's not the lesson itself. It's the enhancement of the lesson. And I think that that's something that all uh, you know, first year uh long career and middle career teachers, I think that's something we always need to remind ourselves because oftentimes we think, "Oh, I've got this really awesome thing. Here you go." And it like, "Oh, why didn't that work out?" Um I so I think that was a really brilliant comment you made there. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say sometimes um, lessons will need some background information. It doesn't, like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean that students just jump in. And a lot of times I'll share with teachers, this is a lesson that you would do assuming that your students have already been learning and discussing this particular topic. This just dives deeper or looks at things from maybe a different angle. Mm -hmm. So uh, of all the resources that you have available, uh, what what has been your most popular one? Um, my most popular resource is um, a continents and oceans resource that was one that I created my first year of teaching and have since modified and adjusted based on teacher feedback. And uh, and so that one I, again, it just it's there are so many teachers that touch on that. Um, you know, the major land masses that that one just seems to be, uh, just a good, a good fit for many classrooms. What do you think of, uh, is going on with it? That, that seems to just speak to so many teachers like, Oh, this is perfect. Like that's your most popular. Um, one of the things that I included, um, were, or are reading passages at multiple levels. And so all of your students can be learning about Africa or Europe, for example, but learning at their level. And so um, I think that is really helpful for, for teachers. And then there's a, there's a number of interactive pieces that can be done on the computer for like stations or centers, as well as um, hands-on activities too. So you got a whole blended learning thing going on. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. Uh, now, which one are you most proud of then? Because you, you there's got to be one you're like, I'm so happy I came up with this. This is my my pride and joy. Might not be my most popular, <laughs> but which one are you most proud of? Which resource are you most proud of? Um, I really, I recently put together a virtual field trip for ancient Phoenicia, and um, I'm of Lebanese descent, and so. I was able to incorporate a lot of family photos from our trip. And so that one was just really special to put together and having personally experienced and walked through a lot of the, um, the ruins, it, it just, it was really, I, I just really enjoyed putting that together. It's amazing. Okay. Here I am. I'm a teacher. 
who's found himself in a situation where I have a rich curriculum, but not necessarily the best resources to support students. And this is exactly my situation, by the way. This this course, Adventures in World History, it was like, here you go, have fun, do whatever. <laughs> how do I get do whatever? <laughs> Literally, that was what was said. How how do I get started in building a dynamic program? Yeah, well, um, I would say. One, if you can find um, partnerships, that can be really helpful. If you have some partnerships within your community, partnerships with um, different museums or organizations that you can bring in speakers or presenters to your classroom, or even if it's virtually, that can be really beneficial because I think it's important for our students to um, hear from different people. Like I, I might say something in one way, but someone else could present it in a different way that could be um, more impactful for a student. And so building partnerships, maybe that's with your uh, uh, local tribe or museum. Uh, when I was teaching, I was able to build a partnership with our local university and there was a professor that had access to a number of cultural objects that fit in well with our social studies lesson. And so he was able to come in and speak to my class and share those objects. And that really just enhanced that lesson. I would say, though, that um, it's important to recognize that it's a partnership so that that we're also you know, facilitating and sharing and doing research that it doesn't fully become a burden on the person that we're having come to our classroom. So I think that's, that's important um, as, as well, but that, I think that's really important building the partnerships. And then um, technology today is pretty amazing. We can have access to primary sources online. I know in the U.S., like the National Archives or the Library of Congress are really great because there's lots of digitized um, newspaper clips and photographs that you could do photo analysis with. So um, utilizing a lot of those online sources can be beneficial. Um, and I would say a lot of uh, museums are starting that route, too, where they're beginning to digitize the cultural objects that they have. Um and then finally, I would say, you know, video clips can be really beneficial too. Um, sometimes I can find a video that can sum up what I'm trying to convey in 10 minutes in a more engaging and thought-provoking way than if I were just to stand there and do a PowerPoint or lecture or whatnot. And kids love videos. I mean, they are on YouTube. It's 10 minutes. It scrolls into the next 10 minutes and the next 10 minutes. So a 10-minute video can actually be really helpful. And I know, like we talked about earlier, that misinformation is obviously YouTube, for example, would be a, a big place for that <laughs> no <laughs> no i don't believe it right the, but there's a lot of i have found a lot of organizations and reputable sources that are creating their own youtube channel so you could go to you know uh, there's i mean there's so many um recently where I, I was looking at an archaeologist that had all sorts of informational or videos and it was just amazing. And so sometimes using a video 
as an anticipatory set or to dive deeper into something can be helpful. And that can be also a great way to have your students you know, asking questions as far as like, when you watch this video, what did you learn that maybe challenged or supported your prior knowledge? Or do you see any biases? Who's the intended audience? Um, because if it's a specific organization, they very well may have a specific direction that they are, you know, pointed. So asking those kinds of questions can can lead to some deeper discussion in the classroom too. And this is where I'm jealous of you being in the U.S. because a lot of amazing video resources are content locked to the U.S. And, <laughs> and, and one of the things too that I think you're really speaking to without actually saying it is like, part of really good pedagogy is really good planning plan 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 and when you think you're done plan some more yes and i would say it's it's continually learning um i would say man if we could just have pd where we just read you know we read books and learn from different people and different experiences than our own i mean that would be amazing and so reading that's I can't speak enough to that. <laughs> Everyone go out, get a good reads account, start reading. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow us, see what we're reading. Just go, 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 go. Oh, well, Michelle, just thank you so much. Like you, you've really given us a lot to chew on and to think about and to actually implement Like this is a very practical PD session. In your opinion, what is something teachers should be unapologetic about in their practice? I would say making time for direct social studies instruction, especially in the elementary grades when I know that there's a lot of emphasis on math and reading and whatnot, but centering the social studies, I think we should just do, even if, even if the mandates say a certain amount of time, the research proves that social studies is really where we're going to see gains in reading if that's if that's the focus so um be un unapologetic about adding social studies Vito, chris Vito, my friend the sundial is upon us oh it's good. you know what that means it's pulsing it's points, points. Time. it's pulsing points time listeners we had michelle mcdonald on the show tonight and she was fantastic I am sitting here looking at my notes and I have just totally just jotted three whole pages tonight. But hey, we have some great Polson points tonight. We have some great big vibes tonight. And of course, we know what to be unapologetic about. But my friends, the Polson points. Number one, hey friends, our love of students will inspire them in ways that we can never know. Michelle didn't want to be a teacher. She was surrounded by teachers and didn't want to be a teacher until it was teachers who showed her patience, kindness, and love that said, wait a minute, maybe I do want to be a teacher. Now she can't get away from them. Um, number two, friends. If something doesn't sit well, don't be afraid to do your own thing. She didn't even have, she, she had nothing. That didn't sit well with her. So she's made an uh, like amazing stuff out of that. Uh, my friends. Let's make our classes safe and collaborative places. We can never stress that enough. Number four, my friends, fourth pulse and point of the night. Let your resources enhance your lessons, 
not be them. And our fifth Polson point for tonight, don't forget how amazing technology can be when we've done the research, when we've vetted it, because it can be something that really, really helps to engage our learners. Oh, but wait, there's more because we have some big vibes tonight, friends. Big vibes. Uh, friend, uh, teachers, are all your students being heard? Big question. Are all your students being heard? Next big vibe of the night. Whose voice is centered in what you're teaching and whose voice is missing? Whose voice is on the periphery? And I think, friends, the biggest vibe of the night, biggest vibe of the night, Vito knows what it is. Michelle's Michelle knows what it is, too. Things can get pretty hectic in that class. You better be prepared with a few one-liners. You better be prepared with a few one-liners. And don't forget, teachers out there, be unapologetic about making time for direct social studies instruction because the research shows that it supports everything. Michelle, I can't thank you enough on behalf of Vito and I for coming on the show tonight. You've made us better teachers, and I and I know everyone who's listening has just gained so many more things for their for their tool belt going into their classes, regardless of what they teach and at what level. Thank you for having me. I, I very much appreciate the time and being able to chat with you tonight. We we greatly appreciate it. Where can people find more about you? Where can they find you online? Um, so my website is strategiceducationalservices.com. And I'm pretty much on all the social medias. So you can find me um, on Instagram, Facebook <laughs> as well. Check her out on all the socials. Make <laughs> sure you go check out strategiceducationalservices.com. Check out her Teachers Pay Teacher. She's got amazing resources. Thank you, Michelle. We really thank appreciate you. you being here. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unapologist Podcast, where the best PD happens in your backyard. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. Podcast.